Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. Today we have our guest, President and CEO, Cecilia Holden of My Future NC in North Carolina. A passionate student advocate and engaged in all levels of local, state, and federal government, we are excited for you to hear her share about the mission and vision of My Future NC. Cecilia most recently held the position as the Director of Government and Community Affairs for the State Board of Education. She served as the principal contact and staff for the State Board of Education with state and federal education policymakers and stakeholders, including the NC General Assembly, the Governor's Office, NC State Agencies, and the U.S. Congress. Welcome, everyone, to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. I'm David Linevers, Vice President of the Plexus Foundation. And today we have our very special guest from the East Coast, North Carolina, uh, the President and CEO of My Future NC, Cecilia Holden. Welcome, Cecilia. Hi, David. Great to be with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I, I appreciate your time and um, just reading a little bit about your background. What I what I wanted to just start by saying is I, the thing I noticed about your organization, first and foremost, was your board and advisory board is made up of people in the state who really have dialogue and can make things happen. Um, and, you know, it gave me a little goosebumps. It's just who I am thinking about all of the work that I've had the opportunity to do with, you know, so many different sectors of education and working for the state myself. You, you just realize everybody comes to you for everything and you want to be a problem solver. And it looks like you those people at the table can really be creative with you to figure out what you can do and be effective in. So I just had to, you know, pay that high praise for you to be able to get those people together. That's impressive. We are very fortunate. Our board of directors is probably one of our best, if not the best asset that we have. So happy to jump into a little history of my future and see and how we got all those key players to the table. Yes, that was my question. Let's do it. Great. So uh, let me go back just a little bit in time. In, yeah. 20, in 2017, it was recognized that we had a talent crisis in North Carolina, very mm. much like the rest of the nation. I would also venture to say that coming out of the pandemic, that talent crisis is now a state of emergency. And so it has certainly put our work on steroids. But back in 2017, we had two thought leaders who came together. One was the former UNC system president, Mm. That was Margaret Spellings, who was also the uh, United States Secretary of Education at one point. And then also uh, coming together with her was MC Belk Pylon. And MC's okay. dad uh, was the Belk. I don't know if you've heard of the Belk stores, but if you ride through North Carolina, uh, that is a family <laughs> name that most people recognize clearly. Okay. These two ladies came together and said, we, we need to do something about it. And so they brought together some very influential leaders. They did listening tours, looked at data, research, and ultimately determined that the state of North Carolina needed to first adopt a state attainment goal. Similar to Lumina Foundation, they have you know led the charge across the nation. And so the first step was based on the data, the goal was the 2 million by 2030 that we uh, use as our North Star, and that is to have 2 million North Carolinians ages 25 to 44 to hold a an industry value credential or a college degree by the year 2030. That was in 2019 when the goal was lifted up. Very fortunate, we had 
bipartisan support and a signature of the governor. And this was codified into state law. Oh, that's so, wow. Yeah, that, that was that was the real catalyst for moving this work forward. Yeah. So it, it's the state's goal coming out of that in order to move the goal into action. A nonprofit was formed, and that's the 501c3 nonprofit that I now lead, my future NC. We took several of those influential leaders, and they became our board of directors. And then others also became our advisory board of commissioners. I mean, what a what an amazing way! So you, so you was this 2017? We all got together to kick this off and to start this. This was in 2017. It was kickstarted, and then in 2019 is when the goal was codified into state law, and the nonprofit was stood up. One thing, David, I'll highlight yeah. for you: there, if you look at the board makeup, mm-hmm. it was very intentional. We have philanthropy sitting at the table. We have all the education sector heads sitting at the table. We have key policymakers. That's and then right. We all, then we also have business and industry. Yeah. So it was an intentional board make makeup of those four different categories of individuals. I mean, that's really key. Because you're right, in the midst of being able to get legislation passed and the support around the state across those sectors, I mean, to make a dent in the $2 million, you have to get everyone together, don't you? I mean, that's just the way it is. That's right. We, uh, in North Carolina, and I think this is true in many other states, if not all states, our education systems and business and industry are separate and disparate parts. Yeah. And our education systems are uh, they operate independent of one another, K-12, community colleges, yeah. four-year institutions, and then all the way through to your labor market, which would be your business and industry. And they traditionally don't, their governance structures would be separate and apart. That doesn't naturally bring them together. And so through this work, it's been great because one of the things that we focus on is making sure that we are bringing these sectors together in order to make sure that it's the full education to workforce continuum. I love that. I mean, what a cool thing. And I just have to add about some of the data I've used from your site while I've done research for different districts has been beautifully laid out, laid out. It's got incredible stats that are all applicable to even the questions I asked superintendents about demographics and achievement and I just love it. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, looking at dashboards and data dashboards and, you know, doing research and marketing, all these things for probably 25 years in higher ed. And your your site, and I'm being completely honest here, is one of the best I've seen. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. And I, I walk away going, wow, this is the way it should be done. This It really is. It's the way it should be done for everybody. So I just want to say high praise for that. I've very impressed. And it looks like a lot of time and energy has gone into not only getting the best data, but making it usable for someone like myself who, who latches onto those kinds of things. Thank you. I'll touch on a couple of things for you. One is I mentioned that our goal is codified into state law. Yeah. As part of the law, it does require my future NC to report annually on how we're measuring against that goal. And we have to report that progress to the General Assembly every year. Okay which is super important. If you're not measuring, you don't know how you're actually tracking towards your North star. True. But we took it one step further and we know that if you don't break it down so that it's manageable and gets down to the local level, that's the grassroots, then you're not ever going to know where are the gaps 
that mm. need to be filled and where are the successes that can be celebrated. And so when you look at our data, we have 18 key performance indicators is what we call them. And that's how we're measuring if you can increase in these particular areas of focus, then ultimately you would see increases in educational attainment. For example, how many kids are enrolled in a quality pre-K? How's your third grade reading proficiency? Eighth grade math? Math? How many kids are going on to college afterwards? Do they persist? Do they graduate? And do they align with the labor market in whatever degrees and credentials they attain? Right. We track all of that, but we also track it at the local level. So, Every single year, we have 100 counties in North Carolina, and every year we provide a county attainment profile that will show how are you performing at the local level and where are your opportunities for growth. And that allows our local communities to be able to figure out where could they tackle things first, because we know that you can't fix all things. At, you know, you can't approach everything at the same time. Right. So that allows our locals to, to really know where to embrace and to focus their efforts and it also supports our advocacy and policy initiatives. So yeah, we look at yeah. the data to, to be able to tell where do we really want to go after good policy. And it definitely tells a story. And I think that's the piece that when you talk about the local and the state is you're really telling that story about what's needed. So people will listen to the story. Correct. Cause sometimes data, we all go, Oof. I mean, I love data and I'll look at it all day, but I know in my family, there's family members that, so once they start talking data, they just fall asleep. But, but it, having it in a way that tells a story, not only visually on the web, but that you can build on that story must be a true asset for you guys. It is indeed. We have a partner. It's a Carolina Demography that is out of the University of North Carolina system. Mm. And they, they partner with us on all of our data. And it, if you don't tell a story with the data, then to your point, data is just numbers. Yeah. And we, we want to make sure that we don't use the story that we don't use the data to tell the story that we want to tell, but instead we use the data to tell the real story, whatever it is. Yeah. And then from there, That's it allows right. us to be able to really drive change or to champion whatever needs to happen in order to achieve the outcomes that we want or to celebrate the successes of where we're really doing well. And one thing that is really super important for us as we were three years young in our organization. <laughs> that is young, uh, isn't it? Like you're just getting that's started. Right. That's right. We're three years young. But when you look at where we've come as an organization, we get deeper every single year and data mm. is one of those places. So as we looked at the data, well, I'm, I'm going to break this out for you. For example, yeah. If you look at the number of individuals who are completing college, whether it's a degree or credential, okay. overall, our completion rates look good. And at the same time, true. if you break down the demographic data, it's where you begin to see the gaps. Yeah, that is very true. So that's where we are breaking down the data. We've broken down the data at the state level. And now this year, we're breaking down the demographic data for each of our counties so that they will know maybe they're achieving their goal around a certain particular key performance indicator. But perhaps if you go deeper, they're not achieving that goal for all of our North Carolinians. And so how can we make sure that we tell the full story, which is what we're doing with the data? I like that you said that a little earlier, that it tells the real story, that you 
you want to be honest with yourself in a district, as leaders, as influencers, you know, policymakers, because then you can really build from there. If you don't, it's like the thing, if you don't identify the problem and accept it, then you can't do anything to move forward with it. And like you said, not supporting certain students and demographics doesn't bode well for everybody in North Carolina. Another piece too is we, we don't want to tell a story that makes people feel defensive because right. we're all in this together. Right. And quite frankly, you know, we don't know what student is going to show up at the door to serve. That's right. They, they each face their own challenges that are outside of our school systems, outside of our colleges. But if we don't know what we are achieving or not achieving, we won't know where we need to add additional supports to be able to achieve higher levels of success. So we, we don't want it to be data that tells a story that puts anybody in a defensive mode, but rather yeah. allows us all to rally around the North Star and go at this work together. Right, which is the student, right? You're trying to do best for the student, like put everything in place, put the resources and, and the talent where it belongs, which is in our future students. I mean, that's true. My future NC are these students in school right now. It, it, we, we try to center our conversations at students and business. Yeah. And if all of our decisions are made around those two things, perhaps we all might leave our egos at the door or <laughs> any biases or whatever might come with that so yeah. that we can enter into the room and say, is this the right decision for the student? And will it lead to the right outcomes? And the talent that our business and industry needs. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, just listening to you talk about this kind of integration and in the story, it, it keeps me inspired. And I, I love what your organization is dedicated to. And I, when I looked at your history and how you kind of got to be the executive director, and the thing that stuck out to me was community detention counselor with Wake County Juvenile Court. I mean, I was like, oh, that's, and now you're here. I mean, we all have different pathways and, you know, the journey is really what makes us who we are and pulls that all together. What got you into, you know, doing detention counselor with the juvenile court from the start? What inspired you to move that way just in the beginning? Fascinating story. So I do not try to prescribe <laughs> my future. Um, no pun intended there. But when I graduated from college, I had a computer science and business degree. And I graduated at a time where the employer that I had my eyes set on to work for had a hiring freeze. And back in the day, uh, you know, I, I like to say I got a computer science degree before the Internet. And that tells my age. But um, <laughs> even though the Internet was really around then, too. But looking at that, when I graduated, there was a hiring freeze with the one employer that I had my eyes on. And so my mm. college roommate was a criminal justice major and she was working for juvenile court. Oh, interesting. She said, you ought to apply for this job. And so I did. And I went in and I interviewed and they asked me if I had any experience working with juvenile delinquents. And I have to tell you, it was quite the joke when I look back at how naive I really was. And my response to that was, well, I worked, I, I taught Sunday school. And I, I literally said that statement. <laughs> they hired me for one reason, and that is because they, they had rolled a computer in the door the same day that I applied. And they needed oh. my technical skills more than they needed my juvenile skills. And so they felt like they could train me on that piece. And they did. And I spent three and a half years there and it completely transformed my thinking. It changed who I am as a person. And it helped me to see a side of life that I did not grow up knowing about. 
So I carry that into my work every day, knowing that the students that we're trying to reach and that we're trying to serve were not blessed to grow up in the same circumstances that I was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And, That's and that, true. that is what I try to do. I was just saying that to my wife the other day. I was like, it's true. You know, what we're given and expected is two hand goes hand in hand. So you were, so you were the counselor and then you started working on the tech and the data and you must have seen right away. I mean, you've talked about it already. The disparities in the, in the connections between the systems and the way people talk about it. I mean, your firsthand knowledge of that must have been pretty incredible to see that firsthand and just kind of sit back and listen and watch. It was. So I spent the three and a half years actually working. I went into the household of these individuals who mm-hmm. were, they were, they were juvenile delinquents pending court hearings. And the goal was to keep them located in their homes during this time right. period. So I actually went out in the community and, and I was a counselor during that time period. Fast forward, I knew that if I didn't get into my major, then I would lose all of the, the skills and training that I had gone to college for. So I went back and I was placed in a very unique situation because they were building a brand new jail in downtown Raleigh. Oh, interesting. State of the art. And I was placed in charge of putting together all of the technology for the jail. And over the next 10 year window, I would spend my time uh, putting together all of these disparate systems that we had. For example, if some, everything was on paper, everything was back then and so we digitized everything we digitized fingerprinting we digitized photo imaging we digitized all the documents and then everything was automated when you when you walked in the jail all of a sudden everything was technology we put laptops in patrol cars and all of this did not exist back then so it was state of the art and i had the opportunity to take my i'll say my computer background and my juvenile delinquent background and work with the criminal justice system and a lot of the people that i had worked with through Mm. my juvenile court days also were involved in some of the technology components. And so I spent the next 10 years automating that. It was very rewarding because I'll give you one example. If a individual yeah. was, if somebody was booked in the jail and there was a warrant for their arrest for first degree murder, prior to automating our systems, you didn't have technology that, that talked, you had paper copies in a file folder. So somebody that was booked in the jail could walk out the front door, even though they had you know, uh, they had a pending court here or a uh, pending warrant for their arrest for first. Oh, wow. Right, right. That's intense. And you're right. If you don't remember that that warrant's there, it just happened to be big. Oh, and you worked with IBM, I see, which was That's right. So I left and I went to work for the Department of Public Instruction for about a year and a half. And I was their director of networking technologies. Yeah. And then I ended up at IBM, which was the company that I had first thought that I would work for fresh out of college. And I spent a good uh, number of years at IBM and had a very fruitful career. And then I stayed at home with children for a few years and then entered back into the workforce and ended up as chief of staff at the Department of Commerce. Yeah. And then legislative director for the State Board of Education. And so when this job became available, it was a natural fit just based on my business background as well as my education experience. And so put those two together and here we are. You really brought those two together in a way that is amazing because you worked with the public sector and then you went to the private and then back to the public. So, and, and just everything in between being at home, being in the church, right? I mean, all those components that make up all of our daily lives. 
pretty incredible. Thank you, David. It's been, it's been quite the journey and very rewarding for me personally. <laughs> and now you're here at My Future NC. You know, I, I, I love that it, you know, it talks about your proven track record of creative strategies to optimize and engage. And you know, when I think about you talking with your board and, and discussing what's next for them and the strategies, you know, what are some of the things that you know, come up on a regular basis that you all talk about? Just you know, at the ground level, creative thinking point where you jump off. We've got three strategic priorities that we focus on as an organization, and we center our work around that. One I've already mentioned, and that's measuring progress toward the goal, and that gets deep into the data. We provide a number of data tools. Uh, number two is we advocate for good policy, and so we leverage mm-hmm. our data to figure out where we do have gaps, and then we uh, look to fi- figure out what policies we might want to champion, whether that's funding or legislation itself, and try to, to fill those gaps. And then the third thing is we accelerate action. Mm-hmm. And when I say we accelerate action, you know, we is really my future NC and all of the hundreds and thousands of partners that we have across the state. This is not a we, right. this is a, you know, this is a really, I'll say a rally cry from, from the grassroots all the way up across North Carolina. And so when we talk about catalyzing action at the local level, it's our objective that every single local county would have their own local goal. And these local goals, if they're met, would ultimately feed into the 2 million by 2030 and the state would meet our 2 million goal. And so in partnership with Carolina Demography, we've actually put together uh, there's a formula that looks at how many people are moving into the community, how many are moving out, what's the level of education already. So there's a local recommended goal for every single community. And our goal would be for each of the like school boards, the community college trustees, the county commissioners, the chambers of commerce, economic developers, and so on and so forth, that everybody would adopt that local goal, similar to the way the state codified the 2 million into state law. And then they would put an action plan in place and that they would execute on that action plan. My future has dedicated resources that are located across the state. We're a small team. We have eight (laughs) regional impact managers. North Carolina is divided up into economic prosperity zones. And so oh, we have interesting. Person, okay. you know, we have we have one regional impact manager that's located in each of those zones and they work with the local partners. There's a lot of good work already underway unrelated to my future and see catalyzing that action. So we're here to lift up that good work and perhaps share those best practices across to other communities yeah. or where there's action that might be important to catalyze. Then we try to help lift that up as well. Right. That's. I mean, having those eight people there with the eight zones and that kind of connection, I mean, then your feet are on the ground. You get to hear and see what's going on all the time. And do you get a chance to go to those, visit your team and talk to them? Obviously, you talk to them every day. I mean, that's just nature of the piece. But do you get to go out and see parts of the state you hadn't spent much time in as a result of this? I do. I do. I uh, spend quite a bit of time out in the field and mm. have the opportunity to present and drive awareness in front of a lot of different audiences. We are, we're really fortunate. Again, we've got 58 community colleges across the state and they are, they are my partners. I could not do this work, but for them, we have 115 K-12 districts. We've got 
16 public universities and we have 36 private universities. So all of these different groups, the more that we can share and drive awareness among them and deep within those systems, you know, certainly that that helps everybody to, if you can get everybody rallying and heading in the same direction, it's exciting. It's something that gives hope to some of our local communities that otherwise may not have a lot of hope. So this is, this is fun work. Uh, You know, I I like hearing you talk about it's fun too, because you really do get to, be a part of something that makes a difference in people's lives. And that is fun. That is fun. And we should have fun in the work we do because then it makes the satisfaction of working with people even greater. Um, I know that w- I had a chance to have a podcast with Travis Reeves um, in Surrey School District. And he specifically, I told him that, you know, I had one scheduled podcast with you. And he's like, oh, Cecilia, I know her. We did work together on strategic partnerships and business and economic development and transferable skills. You guys hosted like a conference there. And, and it was a lot of fun to hear him talk about what a difference my future NC made for them in his community. And, you know, and he also talked about, you know, we're a rural community. We're looking to get more funding, of course, the teacher pipeline. I mean, you know, when you look at those things, but it sounds like you and he have done some neat stuff together. He is an amazing leader in his local community. They have a model that we believe is a best practice for others to follow. Mm. So much so the governor actually just put some um, money in his budget that's proposed for the General Assembly's consideration that would take the model that Travis and his local partners have put in place and would be able to began to spill this out in other areas of the state. And so it's fantastic. What they do is they have four local school districts that have all partnered together with the local community college, as well as two boards of county commissioners. And when you get all of those players rowing their boat in the same direction, (laughs) then it's easier to tell that story. But most important is they have business and industry that is partnering Mm. with them and they have paid internships for students. And if you can keep students on track and then they begin to see what their education is aligned with in terms of the outcomes in long-term after K-12 ends, then it keeps students engaged and they're more likely to go on and end up in careers that where we've got jobs that need to be filled. So they have a paid internship program where they pay students to actually get work-based learning opportunities and then they give them stipends. So that that pays for the transportation issues and other things that might surface that some of the students cannot afford otherwise. So they're doing fantastic, amazing work. I've lifted up Travis's work since I started and continue to do that even into this year with the Surrey Yadkin Works model. I, I mean, if you, it just makes me think like if you hadn't had my future and see, would you have been able to facilitate this kind of excellence in a broader sense? Like you mentioned with advocating for policy and this kind of influence. It, it, I know it's not a, it's not a this or that question. It's more just, it sounds like your organization really facilitates the greater awareness of this and movement on it. You're spot on. Our, our, our job is to not necessarily be the implementer out there, but right. rather to look at what good work is going on and be able to amplify that in other areas of yeah. the state, offer letters of support, speak and give presentations so that others can be aware of the, the outcomes that this could help to drive. 
and be able to also bring together people and facilitate those important conversations, which is probably what Travis shared recently. They had probably 125 to 150 individuals across North Carolina come together to learn about the model. And we were very intentional. We didn't want people just to show up and, you know, it might be one person in this county and another person in that county, but instead we wanted individuals that represented cross sector in each of the local communities to show up Mm, together because the model doesn't operate with just K-12 or just community colleges or just business and industry. It really is that cross sector collaboration that makes it work. So we, we intentionally wanted the, the groups that came to learn and listen to be make up made up of cross sector. And so it was very powerful and we're seeing some action already out there. Uh, I, that's just so great to hear. Um, I mean, he, I know just having the podcast, he's just incredibly creative driven. You could see the passion and, you know, to have you two connect on that and then build, I can imagine the conversations that were going on just amongst people getting together. And I think that's one of the things that the pandemic took away from us. So not a little bit, I, I being a little facetious saying a lot was getting together matters. And having that time to just sit and listen and understand, and that's got to be a big part of your role too, is just understanding the lay of the land and what's happening and being able to regurgitate that and, and share those stories. What, that's what an right. honor. That's, that's what, one of the benefits of having our regional impact managers distributed across the state is one can share what's going on in their region and then be able to share that with others. And You know, there's not necessarily another organization out there. I can tell you in North Carolina, we're the only education to workforce continuum organization at the state level that exists. And so it allows us to be able to to see the full spectrum. I love it. I mean, I think that's part of, like I said, what attracted me to my future and seeing like, this is different. This is really different from what I've seen in the midst of the good work that people are doing all the time, because then you can even get those other nonprofits and businesses together that are supporting these initiatives and have that kind of cross dialogue and, and bring down barriers between, you know, let's say private schools and public schools that people build walls for unnecessarily. So right. Beliefs fine, all that fine. We understand, but building walls that don't really allow people to work and build for the better future doesn't help. That's right. We're, we are, you know, we're not here to dictate what school or how a student gets educated, but we just want a quality education for every student that aligns with the labor market and provides opportunities for those individual North Carolinians. Uh, you know, another piece, too, that's also a benefit is if you've got. If you've got people from the same community coming together and making financial asks, whether it's of a funder or a Mm -hmm. philanthropic uh, organization or whether it is your county commissioners or whether it is a state uh, state budget request, if you've got them all coming together, that sends a powerful message all in itself. Yeah, that's true. So that that's been another benefit of like the Surrey Yadkin Works model is they went collectively to their county commissioners and said, we need this. And the support has been overwhelming. Ah, that's just fantastic. I love to hear that. I mean, you get to be involved and getting to know everyone and pull on your strengths to really connect to that. And, you know, you mentioned three years young, you know, when you get an organization going, it's unbelievable. You think I got all this and you realize, wow, there's so much more 
to do. And I know you talked about the 2 million and that's part of your initiative. Will you be doing um, other things related to this model, additional trainings, the Surrey Atkins model, helping roll that out or engage districts? I'm just using that as an example. If there's others that you have, it'd be really fun to hear about those too. We're doing several different things from a statewide perspective. To answer your question regarding like Surrey Atkin works, yes, we will continue to look for best practice models that help to increase educational attainment. And we will continue to lift those up in whatever ways it might be. Yeah. Um, and it could be that we facilitate conversations. It might be that we are, you know, administering some of the work, whatever it is that moves it forward. Again, we're a small but mighty team, but at the same <laughs> time, you know, it allows us to make sure that what, I like to say that we're lighting sparks across the state that will result in a nice fire, uh, ultimately, that gets us to two million. In terms of the path forward, we also have other initiatives that we do, and we lead in partnership with some of our state and local profit, uh, uh, state and local government partners, and also other nonprofits. And one in particular that comes to mind is around financial aid, and that is mm. FAFTA. And yeah, so the the federal application for the, the free application for federal student aid, also known as FAFSA, is the one application that's required in order for students to be eligible for federal Pell grants and also state need-based grants. That's and right. When, that's the, right. when the pandemic hit, we recognized that the number of students completing the FAFSA was declining. And research and data show that if a student completes the FAFSA, they are about 90% likely to go to college, whereas if they don't complete the FAFSA, they're less than 50% likely to go to college. And so we knew that that was an indicator for college enrollment, if nothing else. So we executed on some FAFSA campaigns in partnership. We've got a state agency. It's North Carolina State Education Assistance Authority. And mm. we, we executed on some campaigns collaboratively that are focused around trying to help make sure that students coming out of high school are completing that FAFSA. So we're, we're launching our fourth FAFSA campaign right now, and we have several pilot districts, and we're intentionally looking at what are some of the best practices that they put in place that will increase FAFSA, and then we will take those. We're, ho we're hosting a FAFSA or financial aid summit this summer. And oh, nice. we'll bring yeah, we'll bring together several hundred people, practitioners from across the state to be able yeah. to listen to some of these best practices so that hopefully they can go back in their local communities and execute on those as well. I mean, that's huge because you you already mentioned early on some of the demographics of students get missed or don't have the support. And in that 90 percent and then you look at the 50 percent, you're like, OK, who are we missing who could benefit as that 90 percent? And then there's that key thing, which you, you mentioned already is, um, you know, you can show someone the door and then, but getting them through it and getting them through to, you know, consistently apply their knowledge and get through college and move on to a job or a certificate is the real hard part and the real win. So having them complete the FAFSA, like you mentioned, is one piece to towards success and then all the other things which you're getting in line to help them onto the next phases of success is is huge and having those community colleges and those chancellors and the presidents at the table to talk about that i mean what an awesome opportunity to bring all that together you say i love education all this so it gets me really excited you're doing this 
Good. You know, David, I want to highlight one other initiative that I think is really important, and this is a national conversation, too. Mm. <clears throat> could speak to your national audience, but if you look at the number of students who will be graduating from high school in North Carolina, you basically have either flat or declining yes. high, school, high school graduation numbers. And so in order to meet 2 million by 2030, we have to also bring adult learners back into the classroom. Mm -hmm. We have been fortunate to be a part of an initiative. It's called NC Reconnect. And it is in partnership oh. with the John M. Belk Endowment, the community college system, uh, NC State uh, Belk Center. And okay. also, so far, we've had 15 community colleges. We're rolling out uh, cohort one at the time, and a cohort is consisted of five different community colleges at the local level. Okay. And so the focus there is to bring adult learners back into the classroom and then help them to complete what they started. So one of the things that, that we did was look at data, and the data was how many students do we have that have one semester left to graduate? And so there was a very intentional targeted outreach to those individuals to try to get them to come back to the classroom. So that's another initiative that's worth keeping your eyes on. The work has really been important. The success rates have been great. And so we're getting ready to roll out another cohort, looking forward to what's to come. But keep your eyes open for NC Reconnect for the John M. Belk Endowment. I like that. I mean, that's to be able to get people the table to do that. I know what we're, you keep talking about that is having the data to say, this is how many students have one semester left, one semester. Actually, I have two family members that have only one semester left too, and they didn't finish. I'm like, why didn't you just finish? You know. And I know life is complicated. Things happen. And, but to remind us of those people that need that, that little extra bump, and then it can change their life. I mean, a degree on a job application can change someone's life forever in the midst of opportunity where it's not just, you know, oh, we need this. You know, it's not a, a, a machine that puts you through. They stop and go, oh, okay, well, let's put them in this bin and see. It makes a difference. Yeah, the earning potential is so much greater when you do have that piece of paper. Yeah. And so even while employers are relaxing some of their hiring requirements right now, at some point in time, and it has proven, you know, history proves itself over and over, but at some point in time, that piece of paper is going to matter even more so. And so yeah. you know, don't, don't put that degree or credential on hold when you're looking at the long-term trajectory of your paycheck. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Now, you, you probably have the conversation with the community colleges we do here in California that you know, the enrollment community colleges is down significantly across the state. And like you mentioned, the number of high school graduates has changed. And it's changing everywhere. So public schools are being affected with their funding models, private schools, you know, and it's just amazing what's happening. And we knew this was coming, but now it's here. And while the planning was there, I don't think people fully expected what would be next in it to see the true impact. And I, I love what you guys are doing to help stop that, work on it, and really provide the solutions you need with getting everyone together to talk about it. That's incredible. I love it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, there's so much cool stuff that you're doing to talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned advocacy and, you know, we, we, 
I mentioned earlier before our conversation, innovate education, creating parent advocates and advocacy, advocate for good policy. So, and I know you've talked about this a lot. So with your mission is to bring this to the people that can implement it and, and teach them how to understand the policy and how it can have an impact. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, we are, uh, you know, certainly I, I never take away from the great work and the knowledge that is uh, already doing the work out there. Yeah. But where, yeah. We, where we can learn and expand on that, that's certainly our goal. I love it. Well, I, I just, I know time goes by so fast when we talk. Um, there's probably 19 other things we could talk about, of course. And then, you know, as, as you move forward and we look at NC Reconnect and those things too, definitely keep an eye out and be fun to have another conversation about that. And, We'd love that. Ki- <clears throat> I, I'll share with you, David. Do you want to know how we're doing against the goal? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so we do have this grand goal of 2 million by 2030. And the most recent census data shows that we are about 450,000 shy of where we need to be in order to reach 2 million by 2030. And so we've got about seven years to go. But one of the things that we're looking at is we've got a uh, annual annual number that we're trying to track towards. And currently we're 31,000 behind mm-hmm. where we needed to be at this point in time in order to reach 2 million. So we're about 31,000 behind where we needed to be. We're about 450,000 short of the goal. But I highlight that because as you mentioned, yeah. college enrollments are down. And when you think about the current state, and if college enrollments are down, then the pipeline is where you've yes. got to be focused because individuals graduating from high school, if they're not enrolling, then they're not going to complete. And so, therefore, six years out is where we would begin to see those numbers not be where we need them to be. So we're keeping our eyes all the way through um, each one of these indicators to make sure that we're staying on track. So we've got some makeup to do, but overall, I feel like that Having gone through a pandemic, we are doing fantastic. And we just have to keep the pedal to the metal and keep going. That's right. (laughs) You know, you made me think, too, is when you you think about the 31,000 short and the 450,000, I would imagine just from the standpoint of you already mentioned adult learners, getting them back into the classroom, just identifying where the gaps are must be a pretty fun part of that conversation going, oh, we never thought about that. And I know that's part of regular dialogue that happens is, oh, there's this whole group we missed for some reason, not missed, but you know, but we didn't identify. You're probably having that kind of conversation all the time with your board and leaders. We are. And I'll tell you, childcare is an issue. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) if we don't have good, if we don't have quality childcare available, then adults Mm -hmm. can't get back in the classroom. Yeah. And workers can't go back to work. And so child care is certainly something that I know that our chamber has rallied around and many organizations in our state are trying to to uh, figure out the best ways to resolve that crisis. But that impacts education as well. So we're keeping our eyes on all of those different pieces. I, I like that you mentioned child care. Um, there's a there's a program. It's like a charter school in Arkansas called Graduate Arkansas. And it's for high school students that need to finish, like you said, one semester, two semesters, and they've had kids and who knows what, right? Life circumstances have have changed for them, so they haven't graduated. And they're focused on the like 16 to 24-year-old population. 
And one of the things they're doing, Katie Hatley out there is they, they got a grant to build a childcare center for exactly what you're talking about. And, and just like you identify the need here, are these people here, are these important citizens that want to go back to school, but they have to take care of their children and affordable childcare too. So that's all part of the mission. So that's good to hear. Yeah. I visited a Cape Fear community college yesterday and they are addressing the childcare crisis and they have rallied and done exactly some of these pieces that we're talking about. So that everybody's trying to get creative and solving some of the different things that are challenges along the education workforce. I love it. I love it. Well, I just want to say again, I really appreciate your time. It's such a pleasure to meet you and, and hear about the amazing work My Future NC is helping facilitate and all the connections you get to make across the state to make a difference in the students and the, like you said, the two pieces of students and the businesses' lives. Amazing. Well, thank you for the opportunity to spread the word all the way to the West Coast. We have your yes. visit. <laughs> and uh, we like calling North Carolina home. I'm sure you would too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cecilia. I appreciate it. You take care. Have a great day. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.